0: Father in heaven, as we're about to open your word, may Jesus Christ be uplifted. And Lord, please, help us to see Jesus, not humanity. For Lord, only humanity will take us downward toward earth, but only you can lift us heavenward. And so Lord, we want to be drawn closer to heaven this morning. May you draw close to us. Grace us, O Lord, with thy presence, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. I don't have slides, hence, we're back onto our usual uh, Facebook live uh, streaming. But please, if you have your Bibles available, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 22 and verse 12. The Bible says this And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. You know, at the end of time, God says he has a reward in store for every single one of us. I'm looking forward to that day where there'll be no more death, sorrow or parting, where we will will be able to see each other face to face and we'll be able to shake each other's hands and give each other a hug. There will be no more pestilence and pandemics. But God says, look, I wanna give you this reward. And that day is coming very quickly. But, friends, before God can give us that reward, there must be a determination of who can receive that reward. And not everybody is going to receive it at the end of time. And so, really, there has to be a judgment. Let's turn our Bibles over to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 7. We're talking here about the first angel's message and this is what the bible says saying with a loud voice fear god and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters so look friends how are we to prepare for the second coming of christ the bible in the first angel's message tells us that there is going to be a judgment and really if you are a good Seventh-day Adventist, you know that that judgment began back there in 1844, okay? 1844, Jesus Christ moved into the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. And as we've been studying this past week, there is a sanctuary in heaven. The one on earth was modeled after the one that is in heaven. And Jesus moved from the holy place into the most holy place. And there he's been looking at the books of judgment since 1844 and friends this question about how we can be ready for the second coming of Christ really has to be put in the light of judgment of Christ in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary today. This is a question that can only be answered by what present truth why look. Present truth is very, very important for all time. And why? Look, what is the difference between present truth and precious truth? Precious truth is truth that has been needed for all time, but present truth is truth that is only relevant for the time that we are living in today. God's time here, as we are living on borrowed time, I believe, is relational to the present truth that must be preached look friends what is present truth truth that is only relevant for that present time for example what was noah's present truth it was what the flood is coming What was John the Baptist's present truth? It was, behold the Lamb of God, right? It wasn't salvation. Salvation has been needed for all time. It wasn't repentance. Repentance has been needed for all time. That present truth for John the Baptist in his day was, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And then, you know, Jeremiah, for example, his present truth was what? Surrender to the Babylonians. Don't fight against them. Go back with them to their country, God will bring you back after 70 years. That was His present truth. Truth that is only relevant for the present time. If you preach those truths today, they would not be relevant. If you preach about the flood coming today, people will not believe you. They think you've gone crazy. What is the present truth for our time? It is not so far in the future, just the second coming. It is what the hour of judgment is come. That is the present truth for our time, friends. It has been relevant since 1844 when Jesus moved into the most holy place of the sanctuary to there begin the work of judgment. And when you look up that word judgment in Revelation 14 and verse 7, when you look at it in the concordance, it gives this understanding of divide, to separate, so, God is working, doing a work of dividing and separating in this time into two groups, the wise and the foolish, the sheep and the goat, the wheat and the tares, right? The wise virgins, the foolish virgins. So, God is doing this work of judgment and dividing in this time, and He has to. Why? So, He can determine who gets the reward. You see that? There will be no middle ground, friends, at the end of time. The mark of the beast is going to divide the group in the world so clearly down the middle, there will only be two groups, the saved and the lost. But before God can determine who is righteous and who is wicked, there must be judgment. Let's turn in our Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 1. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1. Let's go there. Now's the time for us to open the Bibles. If some of you are using the phones, I'm sorry, you 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 might need to go back to a physical Bible. If you're using the phone to get online, that is. Deuteronomy 25 and verse 1, this is what the Bible says. If there be a controversy between men, and they come unto judgment, that the judges may judge them, then shall they justify the righteous and what? Condemn the wicked. Before God can justify the righteous and condemn the wicked there has to be what judgment you see that there has to be judgment and so when we go to daniel chapter 8 and verse 14 the central pillar of our faith daniel chapter 8 and verse 14 let's go there and he said unto me what unto 2300 days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed look This is where the cleansing of the sanctuary is so important. It was a day of judgment. It was a serious day. And when you look at that word cleansed, the sanctuary shall be cleansed. That word cleansed means justify. So before the Bible, when we talk about here, the sanctuary could be totally cleansed, God would have to judge. And what is this related to? We have to go back to the Old Testament to look at the cleansing of the sanctuary. Let's turn our Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16. This was called a day of judgment in a sense. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16. The cleansing of the sanctuary. We'll see this even in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 16, the Bible says this, and he shall make an atonement for the holy place. Do you see that? Cleansing for the holy place. That's what the word atonement means, to cleanse. Because of what? The uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There was a day a specific day that God would cleanse, the sanctuary. It was called the Day of Atonement, which just happens to mean a day of cleansing. And it wasn't just for the people. It was also for the sanctuary. Why? What was the significance behind it? Let's go over to verse 30, Leviticus 16 and verse 30. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you, To cleanse you that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. So, look, the cleansing of the sanctuary represents how God wants to cleanse us from sin today and even into the future. How can we participate in this cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven? What we study in the Old Testament, look, is a a shadow of things that we see in heaven. All you have to do is study the book of Hebrews. So, look, when we talk about this cleansing, it represents symbolically. When you study Hebrews very closely, you will see that the blood of the goats was not good enough. It was not effective enough. And so, really, what Jesus is doing today was what the sanctuary was pointing to in the future back then. And so, He wants to cleanse us from sin. In this day of cleansing, in this day of judgment, friends, it it was a serious day. If you did not participate and and understand this day of judgment, you would be cut off. You'd be killed. Serious day. But what is our, how do you say, responsibility responsibility? What should we be doing in this day of atonement? Since 1844, since Jesus has entered into the most holy place and began cleansing the sanctuary from sin, what should we be doing? There are two things that we should be doing. Let's go over to Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 31. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 31. Look at what the Bible says referring to the day of atonement. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you. Ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. Two things. Number one, it will be a Sabbath of rest. It will be treated like a Sabbath. But does it mean that since 1844, we should just be on vacation? On holiday? Is that what it is? Don't do any work? Of course not. None of us would ever think that, right? What does it mean that God says he wants us to rest? What is that referring to? And then it says, afflict your soul. Well, these are the two things that we're gonna look at this morning. This is the responsibility that God has laid upon us today. What does it mean to rest? What does it mean to afflict our souls? Spiritually speaking, not literally. Because it doesn't mean that we should get a whip and whip ourselves and afflict ourselves. It doesn't mean that we should be on holiday for the past 170 odd years, right? That's not what God is referring to. So spiritually speaking, how can we be ready for this Day of Atonement? How can we be ready to meet Jesus when he comes for a second time? How can we be ready? Instead of just physical preparation, what is this talking about? Leviticus 16, 29. Let's start with the rest first. Leviticus 16 and verse 29. Look at what the Bible says. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls and do no work. Okay? So that rest is associated. Have you guys been able to hear me this whole time? (laughs) Anybody there? I realize that I've had my mic on mute this whole time. Have you been able to hear me? (laughs) I hope you have been because uh, I just realized that my my mic was on mute. Are you all there? Okay, Wonderful. (laughs) I'm so thankful. I just looked down and my my little light here on the mic was flashing. I've gone all red. This is horrible. Anyways, we've been looking at what? Taking rest and thank you, thank you, everybody. And also afflicting your soul. What does it mean to rest? Let's turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible says this for he that is entered into his rest he also hath ceased from his own works as god did from his so look in in hebrews we see a rest that has been left for the people of god today what is the spiritual meaning of rest what is the spiritual meaning of sabbath um you see here it says that he that is entered into his rest, he has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Our own works of what? Righteousness. Not literal works. It doesn't mean that you should just stop working. No. But what is the work that God wants us to cease from? It is our own works of righteousness, trying to work our way to heaven. And so, friends, look. We have to make sure that we recommit our lives to God and stop doing our own works. What are works like? They are like filthy rags, they are works of unrighteousness. Or let's put it this way: God wants to cease us to cease from our own works of trying to save ourselves. He wants us to stop sinning. Is this too difficult to bear? Um Friends, look, this is a difficult topic sometimes to talk about, isn't it? Being perfect, to have victory over sin. But the Bible is too replete from Genesis all the way to Revelation to be able not to understand this. Look, when when it comes to victory over sin, it is ceasing from our own works of righteousness. It's not like Jesus is telling us anything different. But he wants us to have victory. He wants us to be able to say that Christ is the one that is giving us victory, having victory from our works of unrighteousness, our own works. So look, when it comes to this works of righteousness, do we see where we should have victory over sin? Yes. First John chapter three. verse 9 we see in the book of daniel we see it even in the book of hebrews chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17. we see it's replete throughout the whole bible jesus came he died on the cross for our sins wasn't it he he came to set us free from the condemnation of sin to have victory and you can't tell me that god's jesus's blood is not as powerful as sin no jesus blood is always more powerful so in this time he wants us to cease from our own works of righteousness. I hope you're still there in Hebrews chapter 4. We read verse 10. Now I want you to come with me to verse 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11. Let us what? Labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. If you want to have victory, if you want to cease from your own works of unrighteousness, there's something for us to do. We have to labor to enter into that rest, lest Any man fall after the same example of unbelief. How? To labor. We are to cease from our own works, but yet there's a work for us to do. What is it? Let's continue. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and the joints and marrow, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart." Friends, why does Paul introduce the Bible here, right after saying, you got to labor? Now let me tell you the qualities of the Word of God. What will help us to cease from our own works of righteousness is only as we labor to put the Word of God here. friends. The Word of God does not come to you just because you spent 10 hours in prayer. If you spend 10 hours in prayer, it will lead you to the Word of God to study it with greater vigor, with greater desire. Do you see that? So the Word of God is important. And that is that which will help us to cease from our own works of righteousness as we put the Word of God in our hearts and minds. It is quick. It is powerful to help us to change, to help us to have victory to help us to have the works of God and not our own works. And so many of us, we need to labor to spend time with God. It doesn't come naturally. You know, some of us, we think, okay, I'm gonna leave this place and I have holy desires. I want to go and spend time with God. Have you had those desires last Sabbath? And then you get to this Sabbath and you're like, "Ah, oh, I didn't do it again. Why, why do we not have this desire? Because it's something we have to labor for. Do you understand that? The Bible says we gotta cease from our own works of righteousness. You gotta rest, but you gotta labor in, enter to enter into that rest. There's a work for us to do, friends. And that work is not, I gotta keep the Sabbath, I gotta keep the Ten Commandments. No, friends. You gotta make an appointment with Jesus, and you gotta labor to enter into it. Let's go to the beginning of this chapter, Hebrews chapter four, and I wanna show you verses one and two. It is talking about rest throughout this whole chapter. Hebrews chapter four, verses one and two. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. Friends, we have to learn to exercise faith. Faith is a gift of God, Ellen White says, but the power to exercise it is ours. Faith is found where? It's found in the Word of God. It is quick and powerful that if you labor to enter into it, if you put it in here, it will work for you. Do you see that? The reason why the Jews here in Hebrews said they had so little good works is because they had so little faith. Even though they had the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, even though they had the Shekinah glory, even though they saw so many miracles, they kept disbelieving. Why? It's not because God wasn't real. It's because they didn't spend time with him. They were there in the flesh, but their mind, they still did not capture the lessons that God was trying to teach them. They were not walking with Him on a daily basis. Do you see that? And so, verse 18 and 19 of Hebrews chapter 3, look at this. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, the end of that chapter, it says, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that what? Believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of what? Unbelief. Friends, if we want to have the rest that God wants to give us today and that He desires to give us today, we must have faith that works by love and purifies the soul. You know, friends, we could go to church every week. As SDAs, we could be there keeping the Sabbath there every week and technically we have rest, but we still come short of that true rest. That rest that God wants to give you is not, oh, praise the Lord, I don't have to work, Sabbath afternoon, sleep, 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 sleep. No, friends, that's not the rest that God is talking about. It's not enough to do wicked works throughout the week. Live like a heathen, somebody that doesn't know God, and then pray at the door of the church before you go in and ask God to forgive you. Or pray before the sun goes down on a Friday night for God to forgive you just before the Sabbath comes in. It's not enough. Friends, he wants to have faith that works, faith that purifies the soul, that faith that goes beyond just the Sabbath. It goes throughout the other six days that you learn to stop working with your own works of unrighteousness, that you can live righteously in Christ Jesus. And so, God wants to give us a different experience altogether. He wants to give us victory every day. He wants you to live righteously every day. He doesn't want you just to stop watching movies on the Sabbath. He wants you to stop watching movies throughout the week, those that don't give glory to God, those that set your mind on the wrong path. He doesn't want you to just stop cursing on the Sabbath. He wants you to stop cursing the other six days as well. He doesn't want you to to just stop doing those works of wickedness on the seventh day. He wants you to be totally transformed from the Sunday all the way to the Sabbath. friends he wants to live in you and work in you and walk in your life he wants you to cease from your own works and allow his word that is quick and powerful to live in your mind and live out and through you and shine out of you let's go to second peter chapter 2 and verse 15. second peter chapter 2 and verse 6 uh, 15 god wants us to rest from our wicked works of unrighteousness look at this second Peter chapter two and verse fifteen, follow along, please, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of what unrighteousness and the reason that some of us we are living unrighteously is because we are chasing after the greed of this world, the riches of this world we have our eyes focused on perishable things and not eternal. And so the desire for unjust gain comes in and cheating and stealing and lying and all these things. And friends, God wants us to be righteous. He wants us to cease from our own works of righteousness. But in order to do that, there must be labor. The Word of God. Let's go to Revelation 14 verse 12. God will have such a people like this revelation 14 and verse 12 describing the saints at the end of time the bible says here is the patience of the saints here are they that keep the commandments of god and they have what the faith of jesus what is the foundation for them keeping the commandments of god having good works it is faith faith where it is in his word and from that word is constructed this platform for them to stand upon it's the faith of jesus christ friends jesus he wants us to have true rest today he wants us to have true faith faith that leads to obedience to all the commandments of god however there's one more thing that the israelites did what was it what was it afflict your souls so they were to rest and they were to afflict their souls let's go to leviticus chapter 23 and verse 29 Leviticus 23 and verse 29, how serious was this? For whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. This was a serious day. If you did not do this on the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 23 is talking about it as well, you would be cut off. Now look, what is connected with afflicting? Ezra chapter 8, verse 21. Let's turn our Bibles there, shall we? What is connected with afflicting our souls? Ezra chapter 8, verse 21, the Bible says this Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava, that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of Him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. Friends, what was connected with afflicting your souls it was fasting and it's so interesting look i decided on this sermon last week and i didn't know that even last night our care group study lined up with this as well fasting afflicting your soul is connected with fasting and yes we talked about literal fasting And we, there is space and room, as we study in Matthew 6, for literal fasting today. Wash your face. Don't look like you're fasting. You don't need to tell the whole world, right? But here, this has to also be a spiritual fast. Does it mean that since 1844, we don't eat? No. Of course not. So there must be a spiritual application behind it. What is this afflicting of souls? What is this spiritual fast? let's turn to Isaiah 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And we're going to start there in verse 1. You're going to see that both these things that we should be doing on the Day of Atonement is found in Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58 is a message for our time, how to live in the Day of Atonement. Isaiah 58, starting in verse 1, cry aloud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and forsook not the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching to God. Wherefore have we fasted, say they, and thou seest not? Wherefore have we afflicted our soul, and thou takest no knowledge? Behold, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exact all your labors. These Jews, they were coming to God and say, God, God, do you see us? We're fasting. Do you see us? We're afflicting our souls. And God says, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure. You exact all your labors. God, do you see? Do you see? Look at me. Look at me. They're not heeding the advice of Matthew 6 as we studied last night. The Israelites, they did the wrong type of fasting. Let's continue. Verse 4. Behold, ye fast for strife and debate, and to smite with the fist of wickedness. Ye shall not fast as ye do this day, to make your voice to be heard on high. Is it such a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast? And an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this what God wanted? No. In all their fasting, in all their outward religion and forms, they were still wicked for debate, for strife, to smite with the fist of wickedness. Do you see that? They were fasting, they were afflicting their souls, but yet they would get up from that and they would still treat people badly, wickedly, debating. You know, how is this applicable in our day today? It's possible to get up, caught up with all the outward forms of religion. Being at church, putting tithe into the bag. The Israelites, they fasted. They were exact in everything. They tied down to the very little bit of mint that they received and the anise and the cumin. You know? So they were very exact and they were saying, look, look. And there's nothing wrong with this. It's important to give tithe, friends. I just talked about it at the beginning of this sermon. I hope you heard me. It's important to be at church. It's important to listen to divine service message. It's important to do all these things. But Jesus is saying, look, these things mean nothing. If you go out from the church and you go and cheat people and you're cursing at people and you're doing all these things that, that doesn't even bespeak of a Christian, So, is this the fast that God has chosen? No. He wants us to rest from all our works of unrighteousness first. This is why resting and afflicting your soul is so important. He wants us to find rest first. Stop continuing with all these wicked things. Your fasting means nothing. Your afflicting of souls means nothing. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I have chosen? Isaiah 58, verse 6. To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that ye break every yoke. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and thou hide not thyself from thine own flesh? What does this sound like? This sounds like the ministry of Christ. And guess what? Friends, if you are growing in faith, if you're allowing the Word of God to abide in you, you will have the mind of Jesus, and you will begin to live the ministry of Christ as well, friends. This is important. This is what we also call community service. There's a need for it, especially even in our day-to-day. Friends, I know the MCO, we can't do it, right? We can't go out right now and give bread to the hungry and feed them, we can to a certain extent. Let's look for the needy. In our church, in our community, where you live, let's be the light. This is what is connected to afflicting your soul, to fasting. But let's continue. Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord Shall be thy reward. So when we look at this, then we can be the light to the world. Then God's righteousness will shine out because we've already learned to rest in Christ. He's made us righteousness by the righteousness of Jesus. But then it will be manifested in all our actions. Let's keep going, verse 9. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he, God, shall say, here I am. Can you believe that? Our prayers will begin to be effective. If thou take away from the midst of thee the yoke, and putting forth of the finger, and speaking vanity. Basically, he's saying, if you take away sin, then God can begin to do all of this. He'll be right there. If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry, and satisfy the afflicted. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. And then the Lord shall guide thee continually, and satisfy thy soul in drought, and make fat thy bones. Thou shalt be like the watered garden, and like a spring of water, whose waters fail not. Can you believe that? Even this person sounds like they'll be full of life when everyone else is struggling and about to die. They are streams of living water, and they shall be of thee, and they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called what the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in friends, if we learn to rest in God if we learn to cease from our own works of righteousness, if we learn to labor to enter into the rest of God, then we will begin to live the life of Jesus. Then we will begin to allow Christ to work in us. And through us, then we can be blessing to everyone around us. Then we can be a light of the world. The Bible then calls us repairers of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. We will be those that will start restoring everyone else, will be health to the community. And granted friends, we can't do this now. I know it's hard for some of us to go out. We're not able to go out even, the law doesn't allow it. But what should we be doing? What does it really mean to fast and afflict your soul? Verse 13 and 14, it talks about the Sabbath and how we can be a blessing as well. But Isaiah continues, In Isaiah 59, verse 1, I want us to continue reading. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. You know, why, why can't we be a blessing? Why don't we have that water that we can give to all those that are thirsty? Why can't our light spring forth and so that everyone else can see the righteousness of God and, and they will give glory back to God? Why aren't we being lights to the world? It's because we ourselves are living in sin. None, verse 4 of Isaiah 59, none calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief, and bring forth iniquity. They hatch cockatrice's eggs, and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of the eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Instead of being water and life to everybody, we become a curse. Have we become a curse to this world? Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, And the act of violence is in their hands. This is not the world, friends. This is talking about God's people. Their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood, innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. It just goes on and on and on. Look at verse 15 from 7 all the way to 15. It's talking about the wickedness of all these people. Yea, truth faileth and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey. And the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no judgment. Wickedness was abounding everywhere, everywhere. And then verse 16, And he saw that there was no man, and wondered that there was what? No intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him, for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head and he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak sounds familiar at the end of all of this god's like where are my people why is all this wickedness running rampant why are the nations of today they're still so wicked why are the politicians still so corrupt and god is wondering what's the problem why is there wickedness even in the church and he's wondering where is that man where is that woman who should be interceding for our nation who should be interceding for god's people who should be interceding for the church who should be interceding for everybody he's wondering where have they gone and so he puts on his righteousness as a breastplate He puts on the armor of salvation. Sound familiar? It's what we see in Ephesians chapter 6, where it says in verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And he lists through and goes through all that armor. But then we get to Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 18. Look at this, friends. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18. Praying always, with all prayer, and supplication in the spirit, and watching thereto unto with all perseverance. And what? Supplication for all saints. Friends, in the armor of God in Ephesians, it is very much connected with Isaiah 59. And it's connected to Isaiah 58. How can we be repairers of the breach? How can we be the restorer of paths? How can we be light to everybody? How can we be living water to everybody? How can Jesus shine out through us in good works? How? When we, especially since we are stuck, stuck in the home. We can't go and feed the homeless. We can't go and give food to those that are hungry. We can't give clothing to those that are naked. How? It begins with intercessory prayer. God, he looked down from heaven and he wondered, where are the intercessors? Where are those that should be praying? Where are those that should be praying for this lockdown and and those that are on the front lines? Where are those that should be praying? Interceding. For those that are sick. But especially for those that are lost. Somehow, somewhere, God is turning this whole situation that's happening in the world today for the betterment of Of someone but someone their salvation is hanging in the balance even as we speak today and the prayers of the pastor is not enough we need the prayers of the church and God is wondering where is the intercessor today you know in Dak and SAC we've been doing our 40 days of prayer and we've chosen five people to pray for I want to encourage you to continue Intercession ought not just be an activity that we do for 40 days. Intercessory prayer should be the life and breath of every Christian. Friends, there is something that we can be doing at this time. Interceding for others. Interceding for those in our church. Interceding for those in our community. Interceding for everybody. Interceding for the government, that they would make right decisions. Interceding. And you may be thinking, ah, it's no use. Absolutely, it is of use. Prayer is that which moves the arm of God. Prayer is that that can stir God to work on our behalf for the setting up of kingdoms and the removing of kingdoms, for setting up of kings and removing of kings. Friends, we need to learn to be interceding for today. we got to learn to spend much time in prayer. And so, friends, I want to add to this. We can't just be standing on the platform of faith and that's it. We've got to learn to plead for God for the salvation of others. We've got to learn to pray. And as we've learned in sanctuary this past week, many of us are too lazy to pray because many of us were not getting involved in the work that really matters in these last days. Friends, it doesn't take a lot of prayer to go feed the homeless. Are you with me? It takes a lot of effort, but it takes a lot of prayer to convert a soul to Jesus. It takes a lot of prayer to to bring a soul to the foot of the cross, especially when they don't see their need for Christ at all. It takes a lot of prayer. How much? Every person is different. Some people, it seems like they just walk into church and they ask to get baptized. Others, you pray for them for years and for years and for years and they never give their life to Jesus. And you're wondering what's going on? And if you truly have the love of Christ and the love for that person, you continue to pray. It keeps you on your knees. And then fasting becomes relevant. Then praying becomes important. It's not just for my life. It's not just for your life, your own life, but it's for those those that are around us. You know, friends, when we begin to just pray for ourselves, it's very easy to be satisfied. Do you know that I'm satisfied with a $300,000 house with three bedrooms? Maybe you're not, maybe you're not satisfied until you get a 10 bedroom house, 10,000 square feet. But some people are happy with even less. Some aren't happy until they own a Bentley or a Mercedes. Others are happy with a Proton. Nothing wrong with a Proton, but it's very cheap. Or a Peridua. We are satisfied with many things. And it's very easy to be satisfied and stop praying. But what keeps us praying is intercessory prayer. When you learn to pray for others. When you get involved in the work of ministry, and Jesus Christ to live in you and shine through you, and you start feeding the homeless, you start clothing the sick, you start visiting those that are in prison, from a spiritual standpoint, you start ministering to those that are lost. What happens? You begin to pray. You begin to stand in the breach, and you realize that without Christ, you can do nothing. And then prayer becomes more meaningful. Then prayer becomes more meaningful more powerful. Then you find more time to get on your knees and pray. Then, only then, as we get involved in giving water of life to other people, and the bread of life to those that are starving, and visiting those that are sick with sin, only then do we learn to intercede. And so to my dear brothers and sisters, my Dakis and to my Sakis, let's continue our 40 days of prayer. Don't stop praying. Don't think that, oh, at the end of 40 days, this person didn't change. They didn't come to church. They didn't, they didn't start studying the Bible with me. Don't stop. Continue. Continue to intercede. Continue to pray. Continue to ask God for the lives of these people until they come to the foot of the cross. How long will that be? I don't know. But friends, this is where we can continue. And especially, this is where we can be busy in this time of MCO, of our lockdown, movement, control, order, this is where we can learn to pray. And so, friends, as much as you have made an appointment to spend time with Jesus every day, I want you to make an appointment not to just read His word only, but to pray. Get a list out. Don't just call them before you call them. Pray for every single one of them. Pray, and as you pray, God will begin to change your heart as well. He will help you to overcome. This is the work that God wants us to do in the anti-typical day of atonement. This is what we should have been doing since 1844, and this is what we need to do today. May you spend more time in the Bible. May it be quick and powerful in your life. Set you upon the platform of faith that you would learn to find true rest in Jesus Christ and you would stop from your own works of unrighteousness. That God would truly change your heart. But then secondly, may we learn to pray today. May we learn to intercede. And so when Jesus comes, he will say, where are those men and women? Where are those intercessors? And then we will look up and say, God, we are right here. We've been praying for this person and for that person. And we now bring all of this to the foot of the cross. And we'll hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And so friends, where do we begin today? I want you to go beyond the borders of your own home. Stop praying just for your children only. Stop praying for the church members. Stop praying for our leadership, the church board. Please pray for me as a pastor. I'm not perfect. Have a lot to learn still but please pray for the bible workers who are on the front lines pray for the salt students pray for everybody pray for every single church member pray for your neighbor your neighbors pray for your enemies pray for your barber the, the person who gives you the haircut that you can bring them to jesus pray for the person that services your car that you can witness to them and bring them to christ pray for the people you meet in the hospital if you're a medical worker. Pray for the person who sits in the cubicle next to you, that they would be brought to Christ if you're an office worker. Pray for your friend who who is a student in the same classroom as you. Pray for your lecturer who gives you the lectures, even though it's online. Pray, pray, pray. Let us learn to stand in the breach. Let us learn to fast and pray. Then friends, we'll be very busy in this time of lockdown, that the time would fly by and you will not get bored because just when you're finished, another name comes up. Let's learn to pray, friends. Let's learn to intercede. Let's learn to have the heart of Jesus Christ and his ministry as well. So let's make that appointment, not just to spend time in the word this week, but let's learn to pray. Not just for ourselves and our own needs, but the salvation of other people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, open our eyes. We've been looking at our own lives too much and focused upon our own feelings and our own thoughts and our own desires and our own careers and our own studies and our own possessions. Lord, we've just been caught up with self. I pray today, Lord, that you'd help us to see that many people are hurting, hurting more than we are. And you've called us to that ministry to bring the food of the gospel, and to pray for the Holy Spirit to be upon them and not on us only. Lord, help us to have the mind of Jesus and help us to have his heart, his compassion, his love, his desires, that truly as Jesus lives in and through us, you would help us to see that there is a world of ministry to every son and daughter in Christ. So guide us to that end, O Lord, today. Teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen.